Live at night, Monday to Thursday. Put your hands together. 6 to 10 on 5FM. It's time for us to um, get into our trending chat. Um, Stigma surrounding addicts and addiction. Now, addiction can be a really difficult thing to deal with. And uh, fighting the bad habits can be a lifelong journey. Now, the stigma that often surrounds addicts and addiction can make dealing with the addiction even more difficult. Drug, alcohol, and sex addiction bear the brunt of addiction stigma. And um, tonight, we are highlighting those this evening. And I'm joined by Maritza, clinical psychologist working at uh, ARC Addiction Recovery. Hi, Marissa. Thank you so much uh, for, for always contributing in these insightful chats and allowing us to be a part of, uh, to take a chunk of your time every time in the evening when we have these burning chats. Hi, Smash. Always a pleasure chatting to you guys. Now, I want to I wanna start with this. Um, the prevalence of addiction stigma in your experience in our society. How, how bad is it? Like, or how rife is it? I think the stigma, and specifically in South Africa, it's really, really bad. I think a lot of other places in the world are kind of ahead of us in that game, where I think in South Africa, they feel very much this, I want to call it a moral view. And by that, I mean that most people in South Africa still hold this idea that for addicts, it's somehow a choice to engage in these behaviors. And look, by saying that, I'm definitely not taking away all responsibility from the individual. But I think very few people understand that addiction is a legitimate disease, like depression or bipolar, or even some more biological diseases like heart disease, diabetes. The fact that it's not as simple as a decision that's made by the individual time and time again. It's unfortunately a lot more complicated than that. And I also think the way society portrays addicts is predominantly negative, you know. If you just look at online stories, it's usually the, the doom and gloom we see a lot of the time, you know. People dying, people being unable to function well, you know. Very rarely do you see the very positive stories that come of it. Uh, people absolutely flourishing and having long-term maintenance on it. You know, and also the fact that addicts come from all walks of life. I think mm. we very often have a very specific view of what an addict must look like or must be. The fact that we see doctors, lawyers, CEOs, very successful people all struggling with this because it's a disease. It doesn't discriminate. Mm. And, and, and now, <clears throat> in what ways does the stigma affect the addict or recovering addicts? In actually quite a lot of very adverse ways, unfortunately. I would say the biggest being the fact that it prevents people from reaching out and getting help. So many people that walk through my office door have told me that, you know, they would have wanted to get help years ago, but there was so much shame and so much guilt attached to it. They don't want to tell their families. Very often loved ones are completely unaware. They're afraid of telling their employers. I think a lot of addicts don't know their rights around that. The fact that they can't just be dismissed from their employment for being an addict, you know, because again, it's a disease. They have lots of rights. They're unaware of that. And I think there's just a lot of fear about how people would perceive them, you know. For example, the second people find out someone's a drug addict, there's that perception that, you know, oh, they're going to steal my things, all of a sudden my friends turn away. And yes, that is sometimes the very sad reality for people, but that's not always the case. Mm. So I think people get put under this umbrella that 
really prevents them from reaching out to either their loved ones or even professional help. Mm. Now, what are the main things you think the general public should know and understand about someone dealing with an addiction? I would say to me personally, the most important thing is understanding this idea of the disease model. The fact that this isn't a moral choice. Um, when we look at addiction, and that's also why it's written up in the DSM, which is like our, our psychological and psychiatric handbook, is the fact that it has a massive biological component to it. There have been studies that prove that if either one of your parents is an addict, you have a 50 to 60% chance of inheriting that trait. That is massive, you know, that is a component you had absolutely no control over. Mm. Then, of course, there's the psychological component of it. Um, struggling with coping mechanisms, dealing with adverse life events. Then there's the third aspect, which is environmental. That's the other thing. Some people try very, very hard, and they might be clean for a very long time, but then their environment, something happens there, and it throws them back off. So it's this constant thing. I think what goes from that, the second thing I think is very important to understand is that addiction can be managed. What goes along with that, however, though, is that it is a lifelong management thing. There is no such thing as a quick fix for addiction. Even people who go to rehab centers, you know, who do their 21 or their 24-day programs, it's unfortunately not sending, like sending your car in for a service. We can't tune them up and send them back home. <laughs> Spick and span, you know. It's a lifelong thing that engages both the, the addicts and their families and pretty much everything around them. So it's very much about long-term maintenance. And that's also where you find your success. We have exceptionally successful addicts, or what we then call recovered addicts, that mm. really live the maintenance and get involved and are part of the service, and they do absolutely brilliantly. So it is not a death sentence. How would you advise close friends and family of an addict to behave around the addict when they find out about the addiction? Look, Smash, I think the very first thing I would say is remain empathetic. You know, like I said previously, this is also a very, very difficult process for them. You know, um, I think very often we underestimate just how much effort most addicts put into trying to stop. You know, very often it's a very sad sequence of trying and failing, trying and failing, but there's usually a massive amount of energy we see going into some kind of coping behavior. So really empathizing mm. and acknowledging that. But still at the same time, I think families need to be very vigilant. Unfortunately, a lot of coping mechanisms develop around um, any kind of addiction. And one of that would be codependence. Really looking at the relationship, you know, are the two parties feeding off each other in this addiction? And something that goes very closely with that is enabling. That's probably the worst thing a family member could do. By that, I mean giving the person money, you know, letting them get away with very problematic behavior. I think also something to be very aware of is, unfortunately, something we see quite often is that addicts can become very, very well-versed at manipulation, and sometimes oh so subtly. So really looking at... You know, when they reach out for help and when you kind of get pulled into this journey with them, that you do not get manipulated. And I think one of the most apparent things you see there is into promises. You know, um, they're making all kinds of promises to you about wanting to stop or doing things and they're not living up to it. Mm -hmm. I would say those are big things to look out for. And I think the most profound one being support them but don't try and rescue them you know this is not a journey you can unfortunately walk for them 
it is really a decision they need to embark on by themselves. Mm. And how to have the conversation encouraging an addict to get help and how do we usually get uh, get it wrong when we have these conversations? I think probably one of the biggest ways family members get it wrong is going on the attack, you know, because it is inherently traumatic for a family. Very often, if substance misuse has been going on for a while, families are absolutely traumatized by that time. So it's really hard to not go on the defensive. So my very first piece of advice would be is to validate the addict's feelings. You know, really acknowledging just how hard it must be for them as well. The second we validate people and acknowledge where they are in their journeys, amazing things can start to happen. Um, I would say the thing that follows onto that is entering into discussion about receiving help. I would say it's very important to communicate how you feel. You know, be very open. Tell them what is your experience. Very often families go through, like I said, intense trauma, having to go find loved ones in gutters and back alleys and things. Really share with them what that experience is. Oftentimes it's a lot of monetary stress. Tell them what their substance use, for example, is doing to the finances of the family. You know, often we see people stealing things, things going missing around the house. Really tell them what that's doing to you. I would caution around encouraging them purely to do things for someone else. For example, you'd often hear the whole, you know, do it for your children. Um, even though that is very true, unfortunately, things often aren't that simple. So I'd always say only speak from your point of view, only share your experience. And then lastly, put in boundaries. You know, there need to be consequences that if they do not reach out for help, then what is that going to look like? And that's where I say, you know, don't become an enabler. Then, mm-hmm. unfortunately, we get into the very difficult territory of perhaps you need to say that, look, until you find help, I cannot continue an in-person relationship with you anymore, you know, if that is even then for a few months or until this person realizes that that is your boundary. Mm-hmm. I would say that is my biggest advice around entering into that conversation. Mm. And and let's talk about the things uh, for people closer to an addict. Those things, uh, what must they consider when their loved one is a recovering addict? I would say, firstly, when a loved one has entered into the rehabilitation process, again, acknowledge just how exposed and vulnerable they are. Um, Smash, I must tell you, I always think it's unbelievably brave when anyone makes the decision to enter any form of rehabilitation. It takes enormous guts that I think, as people who haven't gone through active addiction ourselves, I don't think we can truly understand that type of acknowledgement and really surrendering to someone else's help is unbelievably difficult. So really acknowledging that. Um, I would also say, while your loved one is in a rehabilitation center, maybe I should say that also not all rehabs are created equally. I would say Mm. preferably you should go for a rehab that focuses quite a lot on individual therapy and offers those components as well, as opposed to just keeping someone dry for a while. Mm. That if your rehab has the ability to address all the family and interpersonal relationship stuff while the person is in rehab. Um, Figure it out during your couple sessions, your family sessions. Don't leave that stuff till the person is back home. A rehab is a very safe containing space make use of that you know really take advantage of everything the rehab will offer you 
And then I think, as I mentioned earlier, just keeping in mind that this is a long-term process. You know, there is a lot of management that goes into this once the person is home. Um, yes, and then also encouraging them. You know, I think it's quite quite difficult for a lot of people to understand, you know, especially, let's say, it's a substance or an alcohol program. The person goes into the 12 steps. Really be understanding of the fact that they should attend meetings. They need to find a sponsor. And yes, that might mean a bit of time away from the family, but that is really for their long-term maintenance. Mm, mm, mm. Marissa, thank yeah. you and so much for... Mm-hmm. Yeah? Oh, sorry. I just wanted to say... um. It really takes a village to keep someone sober. You know, the fact that sometimes they might need you as a partner or a parent. Sometimes they need their sponsors. Sometimes they need their psychologist. It really takes a lot of people to help someone. It's really not a journey that anyone should undertake on their own. And Marita, we've got a minute. And here's a question from a listener. How do you let uh, family realize that, that excluding you as an addict as an addict makes it worse and does not add recovery, but the opposite, exclusion. Oh, that is where the communication is absolutely key. You know, um, I'm thinking that if you can't communicate that to your family, what other things are not being said? You know, so I would say they first and foremost work on the communication channels. I think Mm. very often the reality is also that family members often also need their own therapy. Like I said, this kind of thing shakes up an entire system, you know. It is inherently traumatizing for many people involved. So I would also highly advise family members to reach out for their own therapy because often it is accompanied by a lot of loss and difficult feelings and resentment. And all these things that are very difficult. Thank you so much for your time. Unfortunately, we've run out of time, but we appreciate this conversation is available on 5fm.co.za. Marita Luba, clinical psychologist from ARC Addiction Recovery, informing an insightful conversation with stigma around addicts and addiction. Live at night, Monday to Thursday. Put your hands together. 6 to 10 on 5FM.